Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hope Interrupted, the podcast. I'm Byron McCauley, here with my partner in crime and my and my co-partner in writing our book, Hope Interrupted, Jennifer Mooney. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, Byron. Hashtag brother from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Jennifer, uh, last time we talked, it's been a little while because you and Don were um, traveling all over America seeing really interesting things. And so we've missed you guys and we've missed you here. And we have a really exciting um, show today. Um, this is someone that I've I admired the work for a long time. So I got to tell you, thank you for um, for making this happen. But 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 we have to we have to talk a little bit about what you did when you were away. You went to like what five well, states or something? Byron, eighteen states. Yes. Oh and we, we, my goodness! And we we launched our book, so we took a few weeks off because of that. Um, launched our book and I went to 18 states and went to the incredible civil rights museum in Memphis, which, yes, which, place. which is an incredible, one of the best, most interesting places. And frankly, bone chilling places I've ever been as well. Wow. I can't wait to you tell, tell me more about that offline. Cause I was there in the early days in Memphis. It's actually on the location where Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. They made that that hotel, the Lorraine Hotel, into the uh, the first National Civil Rights Museum. So, boy, is that uh, it's it's very sobering when you go there. Um, our book is out. It's called Hope Interrupted: um, America Lost and Found in Letters, and it's available everywhere that you buy your books uh, online. It's also available in some selected um, local bookstores. So. We'll be able to, and it's also available a little bit on our website, but it switches uh, www.hopeinterrupted.com. Jennifer, I think we should just dive right in. Okay. Thank you. First, I want to thank Lori, Laurel Nelson, who goes <laughs> by Lori and Laurel interchangeably, uh, but pretty name either way. Lori Nelson, who is the Chief Executive Officer for the Center for Respite Care in Cincinnati. And we do have guests from all over the country. Lori has been the Chief Executive Officer for seven years. Full disclosure, I've worked with her that entire time. And she has been visionary from everything from moving to the community of Avondale and to Cincinnati's Over the Rhine. They're part of the St. Anthony Center. And they're shared services for lots of services that positively impact people experiencing homelessness. Lori and her team worked through COVID. They didn't take days off. They could not work virtually. So we're going to start with asking Lori to explain really what the center does for people who don't know. And also to congratulate Lori, who during COVID also finished her second master's degree. Whoa. And at Notre Dame University, also my husband's alma mater. So she didn't waste much time during the pandemic. She didn't take too many days off. <laughs> so welcome, Lori. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Jennifer. Lori, tell us about what's going on um, 
at the Center for Respite Care, I mean, I can't imagine the need. Yeah, and I think a lot of people can't because it it's not something that anyone conceives of. So uh, for you and I, or most people that we know, if we ended up in the hospital, um, the hospital would discharge us um, likely before we're really ready. Um, and there would be an expectation that you would go to your home where it's clean and comfortable and safe and you would continue to recover and you would have assistance with that recovery from family members, partners, uh, maybe grown children. Um, and that is not the case for someone who is experiencing homelessness. So just like you and I, they are going to get discharged before they're fully ready um, and healed. And um, there isn't a lot of options for individuals who are experiencing homelessness and they are sick or have an acute illness. So um, that's where we come in and we're, we're sort of a gap filler. And that's what I like to tell people because a lot of times our clients would not be eligible for other services in the community. And we have many wonderful services for individuals experiencing homelessness. Um, but typically if you're coming out with, uh, significant medications, um, especially restricted medications like narcotics um, and, or equipment. So um, things that you're going to need to help um, produce your um, healing and, and, and get you well. So examples of that could be like maybe if you come out needing oxygen or um, and what we see a lot a wound back, which would help accelerate the healing of an open wound. That type of equipment, those types of medications, not only are they hard to manage in a place like the shelter or other services, um, a lot of times that's not a safe situation. So you're, you're talking about people who would be essentially discharged to the street from the hospital um, with those types of medications, maybe medications that need to be refrigerated as well. Um, and you're also talking about people with um, a low level of um, competency where it comes to managing your own health, because this is something they've never been taught. They've never learned. Um, and, and that's also part of what we do. So a client, um, eight, about 85 percent of our clients come out of the hospital. The other 15 percent we kind of lump together from other um, facilities. So places like uh, the shelter. So someone becomes acutely ill within the shelter and they may be seeing the physicians in the shelter, but it's beyond the level of care of those physicians. Or they may be coming from other facilities like some of our health clinics, uh, the McMicken Free Clinic, which is run by the Cincinnati Health Network, which is a, a great partner of ours. Um, they may see someone in their facility that needs this type of care. So 85% are coming out of our five local hospitals, including St. Elizabeth in Northern Kentucky, and then 15% from all of those other places. Mm -hmm. um, they have to meet some really basic criteria for us. They have to be 18 years of age. We don't provide services for families, unfortunately. We don't have the capacity for that. So single adults over the age of 18 um, they have to have an acute or um, exasperated chronic condition to qualify. Um, and they, we must be able to provide those services to them. So, and Lori, um, 
Lori, they yeah. stay, they stay. So people know they stay, the minimum stays about 30 days. And some people may, maybe you want to talk about that and how you're a full medical unit too. I mean, you really, I mean, it's a highly professional organization. Right. And so um, the, the average length of stay prior to the pandemic was about 45 days. So um, that's up a little bit since we've moved to over the Rhine because we lost some access to some services. Um, but during that time, um, not only are they getting full medical care, so we have a physician, we have nurses on staff and um, round the clock care. So this is a residential facility. It's we're here 24 um, seven. So the clients live here and we have um, capacity for 20 um, people and it's double occupancy rooms with 10 bedrooms. So they're receiving full medical care. So we're coordinating everything. A lot of um, these clients come because of one condition. However, they are dealing with three to five conditions that we find on average because typically life on the street is going to um, produce other conditions that tend to be chronic. Uh, especially in our area, we see a lot of COD, COPD. We see a lot of diabetes. Um, obesity is a problem. Um, almost everyone smokes. And so we talk about smoking cessation. Uh, so we're, de we're not only dealing with that one chronic or um, acute condition that brought them to us, but all of those other pieces. And we're coordinating that care with specialty doctors um, across the community. So um, we are uh, contacting those different um, health providers to make sure that all of that care is coordinated while they're staying with us. Um, and then we're also doing intensive case management. So we create a case management plan. Our team of case managers work with the client to develop that plan together. Number one goal on that plan every time is housing or placement once they're going to leave us because our stay is temporary. So and that varies client to client. That could mean uh, because they're dealing with some substance abuse issues that they may need placement in um, a treatment facility. Um, they may need to go to um, an assisted living facility because they've deteriorated to the point where living independently is not going to be an option for them. But some of them do, many of them do end up in their own apartment, either um, through a subsidized program or even on their own if they're able to uh, gain employment when they're with us. Um, and then all of these things, so coordination of their medical care, all of this case management, um, we push um, education through all of these processes. So we are not only going to manage the client's medical care and medical needs, but we're going to educate them on what that means. So we're going to help them establish a medical home. This is your doctor. This is where you go when you are not feeling well or you need follow-up care. You don't go to the emergency room. You don't go directly to the hospital. They, you um, are going to utilize this medical home is, is how we term that. This is the type of medication you have to take in it. You take it at this time. We, had, um, we control medication here, but we don't administer it. And that, what that means is the client is required to come and ask for the medication at the appropriate time. In those first few weeks, we're prompting that client. Remember, this is the time when you have to take your insulin prior to lunch. That's education. So we're educating them on their own health care. We're also educating them on how to utilize their benefits. So luckily, a lot of clients come with benefits already. They um, 
need to know how to utilize those because when they are not un- under our care and under our, their care plan or their case management plan, they're going to need to know how to utilize those benefits. So it, everything we do has an educational um, slant. Lori, tell, tell us a, how the layperson who does not live in the world of homeless, but homelessness, but see people who are homelessness, homeless every day. Can you walk the layperson through how a homeless person accesses you and what, what walk us through sort of what it looks like from hospital to center for respite care or even before then? Can you just kind of briefly walk us through what that looks like? Okay, so I, I would say for the lay person, for them to understand, you know, we've talked about being in the hospital and the expectation of home care when you get out of the hospital. So that's clear. Um, to, to enter the Center for Respite Care, to get admitted to the Center for Respite Care, someone has to make a referral for that person and that needs to be at least a nurse practitioner or higher. So these referrals can come to us um, from a doctor's office, mm-hmm. from a, a clinic around town, from, um, from the personnel in the emergency room or in the hospital. So um, an individual cannot access our services directly. So it has to be through this process, but typically that can happen. So if there is a client, a potential client who knows about us, that conversation can happen. So we've had repeat clients. We've had clients come back had, that had been here before. Um, we were always willing to try again. So there isn't any reason why someone can't come back. Um, we hope that they would stay stable once they leave us, but it, it isn't always possible. And we're also dealing with a lot of mental health issues that can disrupt that kind of placement and those kinds of uh, pathways that help we've helped the client create. Um, and then once they're here, it, it's, it's really about getting to that place of stability. And we do it very quickly because 45 days is not a lot of time when you're dealing with someone who maybe is coming in with a garbage bag of a few possessions in the hospital gown they were discharged in. Um, And we're starting from the very beginning, meaning before we can do anything, they have to have some form of identification. So we're getting a birth certificate, we're getting a social security card, we're getting IDs. Um, And we do that with partners. So Free Store Food Bank's a great partner for that. and then we're we're building on that, get uh, securing benefits or re-establishing benefits if they've been if they've lapsed, and then going through all of those processes and connecting these individuals with support in the community and getting them comfortable with it, knowing how to use free store food bank services, knowing how to use St. Vincent de Paul services, um, anything that they would qualify for, we want to make sure they're connected to, so that when they leave us even if they don't stay in their placement, they have some comfort in the community and accessing community resources. One thing you guys about you all, Lori, that a lot of people don't know, and I know it was a challenge during COVID is a few facts about the center. The center does not receive United Way funds. They have chosen to not be part of that network. Uh, they Their network um, is made up of 
donor, individual donors, some taxpayer dollars, individual grants, et cetera, and frankly, a lot of volunteers who are people who just pour their hearts out for the center. And these people do everything from making blankets for the center to bringing in meals and entertainment because folks are there for a long time and um, they need to keep their minds stimulated. And Lori, you guys, I know it's been hard during, it was hard during COVID because I don't know if you guys are able to bring in those folks again yet, but talk a little about during normal times, what kinds of activities you provide for people who are there and, uh, and also what it was like during, during COVID. Right. So um, we have a pretty captive audience with our clients. Um, you know, they're coming in, they're not feeling well, their time is limited in the community because they need some time to rest and heal. Um, and I think because they're safe here and it's quiet, comfortable, clean and safe, that they tend to stay in um, and, and get that rest that they need. So what we try to do, um, a lot of our case management, all of our medical care primarily happens during the day. So all of that is happening in the daytime. And we noticed that evenings tended to be um, the worst time of day for the clients because while we have personnel on site, there's just not a lot going on. So when we moved to our new location and had a lot more space, we started to do enrichment activities in the evenings. So um, those are things, and this is where the volunteers come in because they've provided a lot of that. So there are some fun things like arts and crafts or uh, bingo is some of the things that we do. Um, prior to the pandemic, we were clients brought in meals on a regular basis, and we really encourage our volunteers um, to, if they want to bring meals in, to share that meal with the clients. Because one of the big pieces, and this is something I think many people would identify with that they might not know, is that um, individuals who are experiencing homelessness tend to feel very invisible in the community. And um, we we all do it. I've done it as well. I walk right past someone without acknowledging them, without looking at them. And, and it is it has an impact on people. This is an impactful event. And they don't have a lot of social, socialization, especially if they've been on the street for a long time. So we really encourage our volunteers, if they're going to bring a meal into the center, um, all of our weekend meals are provided by volunteers, but sometimes during the week as well, that if they would like, if they would like to share that meal with the clients, because there's a big socialization piece and I've, I've watched it. I've physically watched the light come back into someone's eyes when they're having a conversation over a meal with someone from the community. And it is a huge piece of restoring the, the hope and, and, the, the livelihood of these individuals and you see it in their face. Um, so Laura, you're, you're saying that members of the community can communicate with you guys and bring in a meal to patients. Absolutely. That you're serving. Yes. On weekends. At weekends. And then we will also do that. During, we have meals provided thankfully um, and appreciatively from the um, St. Francis Seraph Ministries, which is also located in the St. Anthony Center. They run a dining club. And they provide um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner during the week for our clients. But in if we have a client, uh, a volunteer group that wants to come in, they can absolutely come in any day, any time. 
Um, and pretty soon we'll probably reinstate that um, asking those volunteers if they would like to share the meal with the clients because we love that socialization piece. Um, you know, clients will eat dinner in 15 minutes if it's just delivered from downstairs and it's our staff. But if it's it's a special occasion when the volunteers come in and share the, the dinner with them and it gives them a chance to talk to people and to engage. And it, it, it's a great really enriching experience. Um, but we've also, we've worked with the zoo, we've worked with the library. Um, they come in and, and we're doing um, educational sessions for the clients. We also have a, um, a financial planner who comes in every couple of months to hit a new set of clients and does general financial planning um, because we're, we're dealing with people who if we've just established their benefits or their benefits have lapsed, they may be getting back payment or they may be getting a payment initially that's quite large. And most of these individuals don't know what to do with that. And um, so our financial planner comes in and she starts from the beginning. This is how you open a checking account. This is how you make a budget. This is how you plan for your month with the income that you have. She'll also meet individually with clients who get a lump sum back payment. So we've had clients getting fifteen and twenty thousand um, dollars, and that's like a million dollars to them. Um, and we want to help them make that last and and to set something stable up for them so that it, it provides a, a, a nest egg. So she will meet individually with those um, clients to make sure that they've got a plan for that kind of income. And it's all about being realistic about what you have and what's going to come in and how to, to keep um, balanced a balanced budget and, and make sure you have some money to fall back on um, in teaching them. So it's another educational piece. Mm-hmm. One thing that's, Byron, one thing that is really interesting about the center is that Lori describes a lot of people who don't know how to budget and things. There's another part of that too. There are, and I've been working with the center for a long time. There are people who have been in management jobs. There are people who have had what you would consider, you know, the life of your neighbor. People you know who, for whatever reason, some circumstances changed in their lives. And therefore, they ended up being released from the hospital with nowhere to go. So it really, it's truly a blend of ages, gender, life circumstances. And in the time I've worked with the center under Lori's leadership, you see a lot of people getting released out into the world with a plan who might have not had one before or had had one that just just had fallen off. So it's 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 inspirational for anyone who walks through the door to hear people's stories to to see how their lives turn out and since we just got through covid I'll mention and Lori you may want to talk about for a few minutes you guys have residential living and you had to manage this through covid and you really were able to continue on with very little COVID on the medical unit. Talk about that for a few minutes, because I know it was something you, you worried about, that this um, that you were going to have a lot more illness than, than you anticipated. Right. So our client base um, would typically be the most high risk um, of anyone um, 
related to COVID. So when the pandemic first started, um, it was a very scary time for all of us. Um, I was worried that we would have an outbreak among our clients because they are, they were still utilizing health healthcare providers in the community um, for a lot of their care. Meaning and, they were going out in public. Yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, if, if someone had, we've seen lots of clients with diff various forms of cancer and our physician is a general practicing fam a family doctor, essentially. He doesn't treat cancer. So we're relying on an oncologist somewhere, but this client has to travel prior to the, <coughs> excuse me, prior to the pandemic, um, we would utilize public transportation and we would provide bus tokens and teach our clients how to use the Metro system so that they could go to these appointments. Well, we were still sending people out on the bus at the very beginning because we didn't know the extent and what was going to happen exactly. And then also utilizing um, cabs and, and, Telehealth didn't really ratchet up right away. So right away, I was very nervous. And we also had a couple of clients on dialysis. They have to go. There isn't an option or we did not have an option for them to have dialysis on site. So there were and um, a couple of clients that were you have had Suboxone or Methadone and had to go to those appointments. So I have these high-risk clients who are going to high-risk places and coming back in a potentially exposing other high-risk clients who hadn't left the building. Um, also very scary from the standpoint of if I had an outbreak among staff, we're very lean, we're very small. So while we're a 24-7 facility, we only have 17 employees besides myself um, for round-the-clock care. So you know, one of the first things I did was go to my board and say, Let's make a plan because if either of these things happen, we potentially would have to shut down and we have to talk about what that means. I'm going to do everything I can for us to stay open because I have 16 people here who have nowhere to go. So it's fine for us to consider shutting down because there's an outbreak. But what about these 16 people? So our plan, number one, was stay open and we'll do what we have to do Um Plan two was if that time comes, we'll have to talk about it. And thankfully we didn't. Um, so we did have exposure. Um, our first exposure was not until July and it was a staff member. So when we hit the first exposure, it was very scary because I really just felt like everybody was going to go down like dominoes. Um, no one else did. She did not contract the, the virus from anyone here. So it was an outside source. She actually did work um, a couple of days when she wasn't feeling well. Um, and that was probably my scariest part. But thank, thank God for Hamilton County. Um, thank God for our partners, because within a day, we had on-site rapid testing for everyone here. And every one of those tests came back negative. Um, and that was prior to the state mandated testing that we're still subject to to this day. So um, we love the, the Cincinnati Health Network and, and McMicken Clinic, and we love Hamilton County because they were with us right away and kept us safe. So we, we were never wanting for equipment. We had all the PPE that we needed um, at 
at our fingertips. And we had, uh, unrelated to the first staff member, we had a second staff member come down with it. Um, luckily, she had been out of town. She didn't feel well. She didn't come into work and tested positive. So we had very low risk with our second um, employee. And then we got to the fall and we had our first client. So overall, we had up till today, we've had three clients who tested positive. And I, I attribute to my prayers, my good wishes for this place. All three of those clients were unrelated to each other and they were all three asymptomatic. And all three of them had to quarantine here for full 14 days. And it was making them crazy because they didn't want to quarantine. <laughs> One of them actually had to spend a little bit of time in the hospital because he was on dialysis and um, we couldn't let him go to dialysis because he would potentially be exposing those others. So he ended up having his dialysis in the hospital for part of that. But um, so, so lucky. I, I can't believe that dealing with these high, high risk people, someone with kidney stage four kidney failure had asymptomatic COVID is that is amazing. amazing. That is amazing. You know, we, we here in Hamilton County and really kind of all over the country, when you think about what the first responders and you guys are first responders, what you had to do to help us get over this hump with, with COVID uh, is simply mind blowing. And so we are really appreciative of everything that that you guys did, especially um, helping the the least of these, and that's really important. Um, One thing, Lori really, neglected to say because they've done so many good things. They got the vaccines in there really early. Yeah, so that's important. They, that was they were important. able, and I think you guys worked with the drug stores. I mean, was it Walgreens? I think who Walgreens? Yeah, yeah they, they. But they were able they were able to provide and offer vaccinations to the staff and to everyone in there in a pretty early part of the pandemic, uh, which, which helped a lot too. Mm, that's great. That is, that is so great. And, you know, as we sort of emerge from being part of this, you know, staying in and, 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 you know, taking extra precaution, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, but we are, we are getting there right now and you know as as we look at the homeless population with its um, multitude of sort of you know co co illness conditions uh we have to make sure we stay on top of that and i know you i know you guys are going to do that um laura because uh you know i think about when i came home from from my surgery with a really with a 22 inch scar on my leg and swelling and bleeding and I, and we had a hard time. I can't even imagine um, what that must be like for someone who doesn't have a home to go to. So they do have a home to go to because of what you guys are doing, Lori. So again, thank you, Jennifer. I know that we are, we are getting down to, um, to the end of our show, but um, man, has this been enlightening for me? I, I, I wonder if Lori has uh, some information that she can share with, with us people for people to give or visit or, you know, or just be interested, is there a website or place to donate? Absolutely. So um, we have a fabulous website. We spend lots of time updating our website. We (laughs) love it. Um, 
I have a blog on the website and we have um, <laughs> clients and staff and, and volunteers who end up on that blog. But you can go to our website, www.centerforrespitecare.org. Um, but you can also call us um, 513-621-1868 um, and ask for Ed Slater. He is our um, chief advancement officer, and he loves to talk to anybody who's interested in what we've got going on. So, um, and then of course you can find us on Facebook, Center for Respite Care, um, as well. Lots of information on Facebook as well. Wonderful, Jennifer. I know every as we end our program, we always like to end it with a hopeful moment, and I know you have one. I do have one for today. One thing I do want to say also is the center's information will be wherever you as the listener clicked in to see this podcast. Uh, we'll have their website and all in case you missed you missed uh, Lori saying it. But it is www.centerforrespitecare.org. And you, you can see it also at the top of the show. So our hopeful moment is usually something that's happened in the wide world. It's usually something that one Byron, either Byron and I have picked up um, in the news. Today's is not one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Today's is a little bit different. I have really been positively impacted and so has Byron by people who have written their life stories back to us as a result of reading our book. We've become an interesting repository for people being brave and pouring out their hearts and souls. And last night, for the first time in a long time, I got to go hear live music. Yay. (laughs) It was not. Audio clap. It was not um, a huge crowd. It was still set up safely, but it was live music. And it was wonderful. And that was very hopeful. And in the middle of all this, sitting in my seat, and this is something that couldn't have happened a few months ago, someone came over to my table and gave me a hug and said, I am halfway through the book. And Jennifer, I feel like I really need to hug Byron. <laughs> oh my God. So I'm sending I like I, hugs. I'm sending a virtual hug from Tammy Sayani in Taos, New Mexico, who is excited to meet you for when you come to Taos to do some live events. And I thought this was very cool. And for those of you who haven't gotten your hands on the book. It is on Amazon now, which we know. I like to go there for books, so if that's what you've been waiting for, go ahead and do it. I know they've restocked a few times, which we're happy about. But but last night, it was cool to hear live music, and it was cool in the middle of it for someone to dart out of her chair to come talk to me about Byron. That's amazing. Thank you, Tammy. I'm looking forward to, to meeting <laughs> Tammy. Um, thank you, Jennifer. And uh, thank you, Lori, for, for such great work. And we're going to be supporting you all the way. Uh, We appreciate it. Uh, I am going to uh, send us out with the music of my godson, Star Scream the Giant. You can find him on Instagram. He's the uh, originator originator of these wonderful beats that we have at the beginning and the end of our show. So until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.